Good morning. There we go. Ta-da. That's right. Takes a lot of talent. Um, so anyway, we're here this morning um, for a grand finale. This is the grand finale of a sermon series that we've been doing about Jesus at the table. But I want you to think about grand finales, and grand finales come in different shapes and forms. Most of us are very familiar with grand finales as in the final episodes of our beloved TV series. So I want you to think right now, what are the top five most watched final episodes of any series? Okay? So ironically, I'll start you out. Number five, don't, don't put the slide up yet, okay, is actually Friends with 52.5 million viewers, and we were reminded recently about Friends with Matthew Perry's recent passing. Number four, Seinfeld with 73.6 million viewers. The next one you have to be a little bit older for, it's actually The Fugitive at number three with 78 million viewers. The next one is Cheers, number two spot with 80.4 million. And, drum roll please, topping the charts with 105 million was the final episode of MASH, which aired on February 28th, 1983 and attracted a staggering 105 million viewers. Almost half the entire U.S. population at that time was watching the final episode of MASH. So we anticipate here in our final episode of Jesus at the table that there may be 105 million viewers here watching as well as the 100 or so people here with us today. So we're really excited about that. Now what's interesting though, if you think about it, and we'll leave this slide up, four out of the top five most watched shows were about a group of people and how they live life together. And that's what we've been going through in this Jesus at the table. We've been seeing Jesus with different people that he was living life deeply together. And we're going to look at the final episode of the earthly life of Jesus with his disciples, as we see in the book of Luke. Now, the big idea for today's message is that the last time that Jesus is at the table with his disciples, he encourages them, he equips them to go and change the world. He encourages them, and he equips them to go and change the world. And that's what he does with us. He encourages and equips us to go and change the world. At the end of our time today, we'll have learned how Jesus understands us when we doubt, empowers us through his resurrection, and sends us as his messengers with a message of peace and hope to those around us. As I mentioned, we're at the end of the sermon series that Jesus at the table. We learned about Jesus from different times. He connected with people over meals and taught them powerful lessons about himself and themselves. We've been learning about big ideas he taught them at these meals in these various episodes. Back to the TV theme. And then next week, as you heard in our announcements, we have a special guest ventriloquist. You won't want to miss it. So if you turn with me in your Bible or Bible app to the book of Luke, to the last chapter, chapter 24, and we're going to look at the last section of verses, starting in verse 36, and we'll be reading to the end of that chapter. It'll be up on your screen. I'm going to start in verse 36. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Then he gave them a piece of broiled fish. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Hence, at the table here. That's our meal. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. 
everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name of, to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continue at the temple, praising God. Now we're going to walk through these verses, like Phyllis did last week, and we're going to start in verse 36. And what's great here in verse 36 is, while they're still talking, Jesus stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Now last week, Phyllis mentioned about Jesus being with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he appeared to them, he had a meal with them, he opened up their eyes so they could see it was him. Now what happens, if you remember, those, those disciples ran all the way back to Jerusalem. And they caught up with the other disciples. And these two disciples were in the middle of telling the story of what Jesus was doing, and bam, Jesus shows up out of nowhere. So while they were in the middle of that. Now what's interesting is we don't know how this happened. Okay, we don't know, like, did he, other accounts, maybe he walked through a wall, did he come down like Iron Man, I'm, I'm quite not sure how this all happened, but all we know is that it says that right in the middle of them telling this incredible story, Jesus appears standing right among them. And what's amazing is it's a similar phrase that was used later in the book of Acts, when Peter stands up in, the, in this large group and stands up and begins to tell people the story of Jesus. So here, Jesus kind of comes in. I don't know if he said ta-da. I don't think he said ta-da. But it was, a, it was a grand entrance in this grand finale. And the words that are used here is one that puts the focus on that person. So it wasn't like a famous magician who walks through. But he came in, and all eyes were on him. You've heard that, eyes on me? It's all eyes on him at this point in time. And he says to them, peace be with you. Now we have the same account in the book of John, and John tells in chapter 20, verse 19, he says, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the doors were locked with fear, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So as we see in verse 37, that they were scared. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And this idea of startled here is often translated terrified. I'd like you to think of a time in your life where you were terrified of something. Maybe something, maybe it was a, I don't know. What, 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 have, you, what have you been scared to death of? Something that happened. The word here is actually a feeling similar to what we would actually use the term in our current vernacular, a panic attack. Like you were so gripped with fear about what might happen. You could imagine that they were experiencing this sense of terror. And it's not the Scooby-Doo, right? This is not a Scooby-Doo at the sight of a ghost. Really what it was here is it was a paranormal sighting. They thought they saw something paranormal. Imagine this glowing being. The word here is more often translated spirit rather than ghosts. And that's what happens is, is that this concept of being so afraid that they were trembling inside. So there was this amazingly scary spiritual being shows up. And we see in verse 38, Jesus recognizes that they're troubled. They have doubts. Who is this? And troubled here is this sense of dread again. 
but it's dread from this experience that they have with this amazing, scary spiritual being. Luke used this same term earlier in the beginning of his gospel in chapter 1, verse 12, where he talks about Zechariah, who at that time was a priest, and an angel appeared to him, told him his wife is going to give birth, even though she was very old, and he was froze to death. He froze to death so much he couldn't even speak until the baby was born. So this gripped with fear, startling at this amazing, scary spiritual being. But Jesus sensed that there were some doubts in their mind. Not only were they scared, but they didn't know what to think. They were wondering, is it really him? Could it be it? Could he be true? They thought that Jesus ought to still be dead. Many of them, this is the first time that they're seeing him. Obviously, the women were there. They had seen him. Peter had seen the empty tomb. The two disciples from Emmaus. But most of them, this may be the first time that they were seeing him alive. It was something they just really had to process. What in the world? It can't be. You could imagine they're like kind of rubbing their eyes. They're like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. So, but Jesus in verse 39 and 40 addresses their doubts. And he says, look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's me. It's me. Touch and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Now, what's interesting about this word show and what he's doing here is actually a, a word that is used to say exposed to the eyes. And we would often say in our vernacular, seeing is what? Believing, Believing right? And he allowed them to learn what they were seeing, not only that, but some of us, seeing is not enough, right? Thomas says what? I have to what? I have to touch it. I have to feel it. It can't be real. So, he was allowing them to have these doubts, to have these fears, but asked them to draw close to him and experience him, touch his hands, touch his feet, see him. And even after they did that, right, they're still afraid. But what's interesting, back to this word show, right? It's actually a word that was used just a few chapters earlier. Jesus is going around, and there's some spies that are sent to keep a close eye on him. And they're trying to catch him to get him in trouble, that they might hand him over. But Jesus asked them a question. He said, in the word, just like show, I'll show you my hand and feet. He said, show me a coin, he tells these spies. Okay? And it's a denarius. Okay? And he asked them the question, whose image, right, is on it? And they say Caesar's. And then he goes on to say, give what's the Caesar's, what's the Caesar's. But what's interesting, it got me thinking about coins. And how many of you have been involved in a coin flip where you win something? or lose something, right? So we flip the coin. So Scott, why don't you pick? Heads or tails? Tails? Okay. Tails, okay, we say tails never fails. Thank you. Now, let me do it again. Hold on, let's see if I can do this. Okay. Heads or tails, what did you pick? Heads, okay. So you didn't win. Do you believe me? I have no idea. That's right. Until what? Until I see it, right? So this is the same word, okay? You'll see here. Unfortunately, you'll see. Tails. Tails never fails, right? So, again, this same word, he's telling them, come and see. Come and experience. That same sense when we do a coin flip, we want to see, did we win or lose? And we don't trust somebody, right, when they hide it, right? We want to look at it ourselves. So he's saying, come and see. Come and experience. Check it out. Feel sure about it. But even then, they didn't believe. So we move on to verse 44 and to 43. 
And while they still did not believe it, now they said because of joint amazement, so they, it was almost like, I can't believe it's true. It can't be. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So as if seeing his hands and feet weren't enough, now Jesus shows them that he is fully alive as a person by the human action of eating. And I conjecture he drank as well. Okay, and I, I also say, if you look at the words here, it's actually, can you give, do you have anything to eat? It's like, do you have some things? This word is actually translated some things. Do you, you got things around, right? Those of you who, Thanksgiving, kids are back from college, they usually raid the refrigerator, right? That's one of the things that when I came back, what is around here? And then what can I take back with me, right? Like those are, so like, what, what food do you have around here, right? That, that's what Jesus said, do you, what, what do you have? So they gave him broad fish. My guess is they gave him some bread, maybe some wine. Like it wasn't, it was a meal. So Jesus is just eating away, right? Now, what's interesting is, do you think Jesus was hungry? No, he's in his resurrected form. He's probably not even thirsty, right? But what he's doing is he wants to demonstrate to them in their doubts and in their fears, that look, it's me. I'm alive. I'm alive in both the spiritual form and the human form, and he demonstrated that by eating this broiled fish. He understood how they did not believe and wanted to provide them with more evidence of his resurrection through these human actions. It was him, really him. That's what happened there. Now, ironically, if you think about it, I want you to go back again in the book of Luke. And I want you to think back in chapter 9. There's an interesting thing where Jesus also asks for food. It was the time he fed the 5,000. And basically, the people were all around. They were hungry. And Jesus said, hey, why don't you give them something to eat? And it was the same phrase. Hey, do you have anything for me to eat? And what did Jesus ask? What did they give to the people? Broiled fish. Okay. So I'm sure they're thinking back to, oh my goodness, this reminds me of when he, remember when he did that? The 5,000, the fish, and like, we, he ate with us then. And they might even, you know, do you, ever, do you ever have any people who chew that kind of annoy you in the way that they chew? Do you have any annoying chewers in the house? Maybe, maybe not, right? But there's a way that we chew. There's a way that we do things. I'm a chomper, okay? I'll just confess that now. But my point is, they even watched the way that he chewed the fish, reminded them of him. It's really him. There's ways about us that we each have mannerisms. Jesus had mannerisms, and these mannerisms were manifested here in the way that he ate this fish, probably broke the bread, as he saw with the, the men to Emmaus, and drank the wine. He was real. He was amazingly real. He had done these amazing things before his eyes, and now he was going to open their eyes. So he's going to move from giving them physical you know, kind of representations of these real. Now he's going to blow their minds and explain to them what this is all about from the scriptures. So we read in verse 44, Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Like how Jesus opened the eyes of the two men on the road to Emmaus, he's now opening everyone in the larger group's eyes to see how all those scriptures have been telling his story from the beginning. Now those of us who are parents, you know, sometimes we get a little impatient, but we sometimes use, how many times have I told you, right? So there's not that sense of, he's not saying that. He's being very kind. It's like, look, you didn't understand before. You didn't get it. Now I'm going to open your mind so you can see things you haven't seen before. As Phyllis mentioned last week, this was probably the most amazing teaching session I ever sit in on, to hear Jesus start from the beginning and say, Adam, and how I, I created Adam together with the Father and the Spirit. And he was the, he, Jesus was the second Adam. Abraham, how there was a covenant. Isaac, 
Jacob, Judah, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Isaiah, Hosea, and others. And he just goes on and on and on and on, explaining the reality of who he was. It's often referred to as Heilsgeschichte. That is an interpretation of all of history that explains that God's saving acts started in the beginning and came all the way up through Christ and his redemption. Jesus was telling his life story in a lens that they never saw before. In fact, one of the verses he most likely used was from Isaiah 9-6 where he describes himself as the child to be born, a son to be given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Peace be with you, he said. So he connected those things for them. Now what's interesting is before you go to the next slide, how many of you have done the Where is Waldo books? Are you familiar with Waldo? Okay, now we have Elf on the Shelves coming up here soon. We have different things. And we look for those things. Now, Waldo books, imagine before, imagine you could open up a Waldo book and you knew exactly where Waldo was. You just could see things because, if you can go to the next slide, imagine if you just had this red arrow on every page. That's what Jesus just did. He pointed out on every page of Scripture, not just where's Waldo, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. And then imagine just, you could just see him. He just stood out. That's what it was like. He opened their eyes in a way that they could never see before. They saw clearly now. And Jesus continues in verse 45 to 47, where it says, he opened so they could understand the scripture. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. The word here for opening their minds really meant to open it up completely, and how it meant to explain something fully opened, that it could not be opened up anymore. So here Jesus opened up in the scriptures to explain to them what had been complete understanding. So they, had, they saw partially before, like a door halfway cracked. Now the door was wide open. They could see everything inside. In fact, it reminds me, those of us, my family, how many people do escape rooms around here? You know escape room people? Okay. Did you ever, so you do an escape room, and then afterwards, right, you kind of have a sense, this is how the worm, you like knew afterwards you could do it a second time, right? You could, you could figure it out for the most part. So that's what he was doing. He's basically showing them how all the clues fit together in God's grand plan for Jesus to come and give his life for all nations, including us today. They were witnesses of these things. So he brought it together so they could see it. Imagine being able to see the escape room from the top and knowing all where all the different clues are and how everything comes together to solve and be able to get out. He continues in verse 48 and 49. He says, you are my witnesses. You're witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. They were witnesses to these things. They saw him alive. They touched his hands and feet. They saw him eat the broiled fish. Now it was their turn to go and tell the story of what they'd seen heard and touched. God had raised Jesus from the dead and they were the witnesses to it. They were also being sent with this message about Jesus being raised and intended to share it not just with themselves but with everyone they knew. Jesus explained to them as God had sent him to share the message with them, they too were to do likewise and preach his name to the nations. Our grand finale ends in an amazing way. We read in verses 50 to 53, says, when he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. He said, while he was blessing with them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to the temple with great joy, and they stayed continually 
at the temple praising God. Just as Jesus amazingly enters the room where they're at, standing among them, now he leaves from where they're at to be taken up into heaven in a miraculous way. He parted from them. Now, I, I don't know, I, I cursely think that there might be, how many of you have ever had a helium balloon? Any helium balloon people around, the nylar ones? Did you ever have one leave your hand? Yes, or see someone else and you just see the balloon kind of just go up and up and up and then it goes the, and you can't see it anymore. So that's kind of how I envision it might be. We don't know, that's just kind of my thought. But, and, and, and kind of that mixed feeling like you had this and it's sad, you're gone. But here they were excited because he had come had shown them that he was alive and he was going back to the Father. A similar word is used about this being carried up was used by Matthew and Mark when they described the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew 7, chapter 17 and Mark chapter 9. And what happened is, is that Jesus transforms himself together with Elijah and Moses, together with Peter, James, and John. Now what's interesting is after they, they went up the mountain, this amazing thing happened with Jesus, he gets transfigured, and they come down the mountain. On the way down the mountain, does anyone remember what he told them? What did he tell them on the way down the mountain? What? Don't tell. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Now what's crazy is, now he's transformed again, and now he's saying, now is the time. Because back then the verse says, don't tell anyone, and then it says, until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. That's what he said. Now the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now he's saying, tell the world. Now you can tell them what you've seen, what you've felt, what you've heard, what you've experienced. You're not keeping the good news to yourself anymore. You have the privilege of sharing it with the world. So what are the lessons we can learn from this amazing story today? First, I want to take us back to verse 38, when Jesus first appears to them. At that time, Jesus noticed they had doubts rise in their minds. Jesus didn't think of them as having a weak or non-existent faith because of these doubts. He created space for them to ask questions and to seek answers to things that they are thinking. We have some parents in this room who have maybe some teenagers who are beginning to question their faith at this time. I encourage that. Parents, don't be afraid of that. This is where they're beginning to think about things for their own to see if this is their faith. We have friends and relatives who aren't quite sure about this Christianity thing. And they have their own doubts. They're not sure what's going on with these things. Jesus was willing to show his hands and feet to let them touch him and came with them with their questions and doubts. Doubts are not a demonstration of a lack of faith. It's a demonstration of wrestling. And God welcomes wrestling. It's not a source of unbelief or panic, but rather challenges that we need to process. Our doubts don't disqualify us in the journey of faith. They're part of what's real. Throughout my journey of faith, I've had doubts on different occasions. I doubt the veracity of what I read. I doubt if this is really real. I wonder if this is just something that I'm just going to die and go back to the ground, and it really doesn't matter. And I waste a lot of time and energy and money investing my life in this. But that's the great part, is when you have these doubts, Jesus asked me to lean in, lean closer, watch me chew the fish, check out my hands and feet, spend time with me, and I'll assure, give you some assurances of those doubts. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't let the drive, the, don't let these doubts that you have drive you away from him, lean in. He can handle it. 
Some people are here today, and Pastor uh, Brian prayed in his prayer. Elder Brian prayed just about, maybe some of you are not sure where you're at with your spiritual journey. Maybe this thing about Jesus is a little odd or strange to you, and you think some of us are a little over the top. And we are. We are. We're very excited. We've, we've had this wonderful news, and we just can't keep it to ourselves. But we pray that God will open your eyes, that you'll see the truth, just like he opened the eyes of the disciples Phil talked about last week on the way to Emmaus, and he opened the eyes of all the men in the room and women in the room to see the realities of his death, resurrection, and what it means for them. That's our heart's desire for you here today. So doubts are fine. Doubts are fine. In fact, I want to bring your attention to, many of you know the story, not just the story here in Luke, but the story in Matthew. It's actually the more famous version of the story. It's called the Great Commission. So I'd like to turn your attention to Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, and I want to focus on verse 17. So what's interesting, it says, Then the eleven went to Galilee, the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But what follows that? What's it say? But some doubted. Maybe you didn't notice that before in the Great Commission. There's doubt in the Great Commission. There's people who were still going to eventually take those doubts, process them, be followers of him, and change the world. But some just take more time. Some were at a different point of life. Some were having hard things happen to them that they couldn't understand. Could he really be real? Can he really forgive me for the things I've thought, said, and done? So here, I just want you to realize that doubts are prevalent throughout the Scripture and that God's very comfortable with them. And bring your doubts to him. Lean in. Learn from him. So let's draw close to him. Let him show us details about himself and of God's plan for us. Help us to grow in our faith journey towards greater maturity. As we sang earlier, maybe we'll be able to say with a stronger faith that we believe in the resurrection and that we believe in the name of Jesus. It's okay to doubt. God can handle it. Next, I want to take our attention to the story to verse 48. Jump ahead. Okay, and he says, you are the witnesses of these things. We who are followers of Jesus have our minds, have had our minds open so we can understand the scriptures, have that same privilege and responsibility to be messengers as the early disciples were. Now, some of you may feel like, I don't really know enough to be a messenger. I don't know a lot of the message. But that's not the case. We are messengers. We share what we understand. Think about those early disciples. They, he began to tell them all those stories, and now their minds were opened up to be able to tell the story, really, from Adam through the resurrection. But you don't need to know all that. You just need to know who Jesus is and what he did for you. And the more that you learn, the more you can share. So we can just share with people what we sang earlier, that God the Father created each of us. Jesus died on the cross of each of us, and he rose again to provide forgiveness for our sins. That's the message that we're asked to share. That's one that we can all know. But what happens when we try to talk about that, right? It gets weird and awkward sometimes when we try to talk about spiritual things. Many of us are going into a time with family over Thanksgiving, family we don't see as often, um, maybe family who doesn't share the faith that we have. And it gets awkward, right? Like you sit down to eat and like, okay, are we going to pray? Do we pray? Do I know we'll pray? Who are the religious people in the family? Yeah, can you guys pray for all of us? Like, and then we can feel better about it. That's sometimes how it goes, right? Like, and then even then, like, you know, we're, we're watching football or we're doing something and then, you know, a conversation gets struck up about something and then there's an opportunity to talk about our faith. I know for me, sometimes I just, I just don't feel like it. I, even though God provides that opportunity, I feel inspired, I'm ready to do that. I just, I, just, I cringe. Maybe I'm afraid of what they're going to think of me. Maybe I'm afraid I don't want broken relationship. It's just not worth it. 
But the disciples, based upon what they saw, what they heard, they couldn't keep quiet. And we have such great news of great joy and amazement. Is my faith such that I just can't help but share it with my friends and my family? That's our hope and prayer for you guys. Romans 10 says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So today, if you've never been saved before, all you have to do is just declare it. And for those of us who are saved, we have an opportunity to profess that faith to those around us. As we deepen our faith and knowledge in the Scriptures, of course we have more to share. So let's seek to understand more about Jesus and ourselves through a spiritual habit of reading God's Word each day and asking Him to open up our spiritual eyes and understand it more as we read it. Let's go deeper in the Word. And what's interesting, we see the same thing back to the uh, passage in Matthew, the Great Commission. Um, I want to draw attention specifically to verse 20. And he says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so that's really what we're asked to do. We're supposed to teach others what we've learned from Jesus. That's all he asked us. That's what a messenger is about being all about. So the last thing I want to give our attention to is in verse 49, where Jesus told them, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus empowers us through his Holy Spirit. We're not messengers who do this in our own power, but rather with the power that from Jesus promised. The power from on high refers to this resurrection found in the Holy Spirit, this resurrection power. And Luke tells us about this in the next book that Luke wrote. is called the book of Acts. In the first chapter, verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So we're given power to reach out to those where we work, where we live, and where we play. The Holy Spirit provides us with that power that the raised Jesus inside of us gives us courage to do marvelous works as his messengers. We see God's resurrection power at work in our hearts because it creates us a desire to share his message and more importantly gives us the words to do so. Now there's times where you maybe don't know what to say, right? That's okay. Now sometimes I, I, you think, oh my goodness, I wish God could just like, like we have the ventriloquist coming last week, don't miss out on that. I wish... Like I could just be the dummy and God uses the back, my back and says what words to tell my friends and family, right? I just want to, I, I don't have to like read his word. I don't have to know his word. I don't want to be able to kind of understand it. I just want, just want God to use me kind of like a, a little, little, little ventriloquist dummy. That's not how it works. It's a relationship. Unfortunately, I, I hate to break it to you, but the person who's next to the real person is not really a person. They don't really have a relationship, Okay. Um, you'll see him next week. You can enjoy him. I hope, sorry for the spoiler alert. But I want you to encourage you that Jesus is, is alive and he's a person and we engage in a personal relationship with him. And as you get to know that person, you can tell more stories about them. So I encourage you to go deeper in your relationship with him, not, not only to know him, but to experience the power of his spirit. God gives us the words to explain himself, just like we tell a story about somebody else. Thanksgiving is a great time. You maybe have those Uncles or aunts or cousins who tell good stories. Any, any relatives who are good storytellers? You're looking forward to seeing them over the, over the holidays and you love the stories that they tell? My heart's desire is that we would be that person, but the stories we tell would be about Jesus. It's not about being an effective communicator, but rather being a person who's given the energy and the ability to tell God's story of Jesus coming to earth in a way that affects us all. Now, at the beginning of our time today, we touched on these final episodes of our beloved TV shows. I want you to think about when you watch that final episode and it comes to an end, how do you feel? 
Yeah, you're kind of like, it's over. It's over. You can feel sad. I was attached to the characters. I was attached to that story. There's nothing else, right? So how much do we get excited when maybe there's like a spinoff, right? So I would encourage you that Luke ends here in 24, but the spinoff is the book of Acts. Okay? That's what you have. Okay? So if you've got emotionally attached to Jesus and these disciples, I want to encourage you that throughout the sermon series, maybe you share the emotions, the events, you got connected with Jesus and these people, you can keep going. There's hope. Go over to the book of Acts. You're not cut off like it happens in the last episode of the show. Loose Gospel is actually season one. And the next book entitled Acts is really the next spinoff. And it's filled with great stories about these initial believers and what happened to them as they took this message of peace and hope to the world. So if you're looking, say, look, I got some extra time over Thanksgiving. Uh, maybe you're going to pick up a book. I want you to encourage you to pick up the book of Acts and marvel about how God's Spirit empowered these early believers to live in a way that changed the world. And remember our big idea for today is that this last meal of Jesus, he took the time with his disciples to encourage and equip them so they could go and change the world. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we're so glad at how you understand us when we doubt and how you seek to give us answers to strengthen our faith. Help us in our doubts. Help us to draw closer to you. Jesus, we're so glad that you send us as messengers with a message of peace and hope to those around us. We ask that especially you help us to do so over this Thanksgiving holiday, as many of us will be with family we only see from time to time. Lord, give us your words. Give us your courage. Help us to express our joy that we find in you. Help us not to be quiet. Lastly, Lord, we're just glad that we do not have to do this on our own power, but rather you empower us through your resurrection power as your Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Help us to use the power from you to see our lives change and be an instrument of change in the lives of others around us. In your name, amen.